A lot of times a power up can solve, you know, those few simple problems that you're trying to do, which is perfect, but then it might grow to where you need to connect different systems. You might need to add in some, you know, custom business logic that you can't do through uh, a citizen coder. The big question is, how can you fix and transform your organization's most important foundation, your software, into an asset which allows you to become better every single day? Each department is at its best when it can smoothly, efficiently, and productively operate. And to do that, you need to pay attention to the lifeblood of your organization, your software. The custom software creation geniuses at Architect Now are presenting this podcast as a way to help leaders think more strategically about their software and to roadmap what needs to happen in order to be at the top of their game. No, this podcast is not going to scramble your brain by talking about DevOps or API calls. Our goal on this show is to make you better by giving you the high-level insights that you need so you can better make decisions that will not only be cost-effective, but will help your team on an intangible level as well as a technical one. Welcome to Newsflash, your software company. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Newsflash, you're a software company. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Durkin, and along with me, are Don Jacobs-Meyer, Kevin Grossniklaus, and Alex Will from Architect Now. And today we're going to be talking about low-code, no-code solutions. What are the advances in coding technology and language that allow us to have a much quicker ramp-up time from conception to deployment of actually creating pieces of software that can power organizations that create growth, efficiency, and scalability? So Kevin, at a high level, Tell me a little bit about what a low-code, no-code solution means for organizations in 2022 and beyond. I think the whole discussion starts at, you know, buy versus build. And I, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but uh, businesses that want to be more efficient, that want to collaborate better, that have, you know, workflows or optimizations they're trying to solve or to, to make better, they, they, they're looking for technology to help them do just that. And sometimes you find a product that you buy um, and you use it as is and you pay whatever the license per month per user, whatever that might be. And that's your investment. And you get all the benefits of that software. Other times nothing exists and you have to custom build. We've talked a lot about custom uh, building in prior episodes where whether you have your own software developers or developers uh, through a partner, they they can take your ideas and, and make them happen. They, they have all the right paints on their, their easel and they throw it down and in the end, you get something that works perfectly for you at that given point in time. Uh, but that there's a, a larger cost to that. You're paying highly technical people with specialized skills and specialized tools and, and you know they're working on this project for some period of time. And you, the time and materials that go into that usually adds up to more than some companies uh, can stomach. Now, low code, no code are, it's really the evolution from vendors out there that are building platforms that require uh, as the name says, very little code or maybe none. It's, you know, it could be drag and drop. It could be just configuration of tools. Uh, you're able to innovate and very quickly uh, solve many types of problems without the expense of hiring a whole software development partner or team to customize something 100% from scratch. Low code, no code. It, 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 the, the name scares off a lot of hardcore software developers. They're like, hey, my, my industry is I code. I know how to, to use the lowest level tools and solve the problems with you know, software development best practices as our industry has evolved. Low code, no code 
kind of sidesteps that to some degree or people think it does because now you can have a power user or somebody with less pure software development background use one of these tools and we'll talk about a few here in a minute but they can solve the problems themselves yeah you're really empowering power users with the right tools to go in and say hey this is my business and i'm a, you know i i'm technical enough to take this tool and customize it and make it work and whether it's automating a process like waiting for an email to come and saving an attachment somewhere and reading some information that sounds complex, but with the right tools, somebody could, you know, with a few clicks, put a, a thing in there to listen on an email inbox and, and see if it has an attachment with the right name and save it somewhere. And something that a human might have had to do before, you know, in an error prone way, there are tools that a power user can, you know, with less of a, you know, you don't need a college degree to use some of these tools, but you could solve a lot of problems. You can innovate very rapidly. And not it takes less code or no code. And Don, can you expand a little bit on the idea of empowering a power user within an organization? If you have the ability to take one of your employees, one of your staff members and say, take a look at this and how we could make, you know, tell me how we could make some improvements. What does it look like to empower that power user with a, with a low code, no code solution? Absolutely. So within a given department, let's say, let's sort of make this as realistic as possible within a, a marketing or an operations or a logistics department. Um, there's workflows that people do day to day. And the whole point that you would have software is to manage or standardize that workflow so that there's, there's rules, there's regulation, there's some sort of governance on how all this happens, right? There's a centralized place to store that data. Um, and then something of an intuitive UI for people to use so that it's not quite so cumbersome um, or it's serving up the right questions in the right order. So those are all, all those different concepts that I just described are available in, you know, a citizen developer toolkit. It's sort of another way they describe this low code or no code, you know, um, phenomenon. So you may have someone in a given department who is not necessarily technical in the way that we think about it, but they're, they're savvy. They're good with computers. You know, they're the person you go to when, you know, your email is having a weird problem or you can't figure out how to open this attachment because it has a weird extension or, you know, whatever it may be, right. They at least know how to ask good questions and they may get really curious and excited about what they could create with some of these tools for their department without having to go so far as learning how to code and learning all the different deployment concepts and security and integration and all these different things that are packaged for you in these in this toolbox so that you don't have to know how it works you're kind of plug and play making it all happen you know, this is like the world of USB and um, Ethernet. You know, you, you just plug it in and it already knows how to work together as opposed to, you know, I'm going to go solder a circuit board together in a very customized way because I know how this works. Absolutely. And Alex, you know, Kevin mentioned the idea of low code, no code scaring off some hardcore developers. Tell me a little bit about why a hardcore developer, somebody who is used to building a piece of software from the ground up, should actually be emboldened and excited by the possibilities that exist with low-code, no-code instead of being threatened by it. 
Yeah, so the draw for the hardcore developers for this would be not doing the bulk of the work of the domain and getting the you know simple screens out that the citizen coder could do. A lot of their powers then come from the extension of the Power App. A lot of times the Power App can solve you know those few simple problems that you're trying to do, which is perfect, but then it might grow to where you need to connect different systems. You might need to add in some you know custom business logic that you can't do through uh, a citizen coder. And the power comes in is be able to extend it through custom coding. And that will always be there for that. It's going to be a thing that they'll need. Um, but what that kind of allows you to do is have very simple like modules that you're working on that are very specific and very you know um, simple that you want to add in and probably mod um, make them available to many different um, power apps. So the idea would be kind of like a library of different connectors and extensions that each department could use that you are more worried about moving the data or building extensions than building the actual you know, domain-specific apps. And so another piece of that, just to jump in, is the, what the no-code and low-code solutions are sort of doing is they're actually allowing less technical people to do some of the boring development, some of the stuff that's very repeatable. Um, you know, it's what we would call CRUD, create, read, update, delete oriented screens. And so if all of that can be facilitated by someone else, it means that the actual technical people can go and work on more interesting features and opportunities. You know, they can start to get into, um, you know, one of the major cloud providers, AI resources. You know, if they don't have to be building and maintaining these relatively simplistic screens, they can use their knowledge for something way more valuable. Absolutely. And the other part of that conversation is to look at what exists in the workflow of an employee or of, a, of an organization who wants to design a new piece of software. And if you think about all of the iterations Never mind of the software actually getting built, but but just the conversations, the planning out of what does each screen look like, what are the the data points that I want on each of the screens um, throughout this app or this piece of software, that alone is an incredibly heavy lift. So to be able to outsource some of that work, some of that planning, some of those like very high level would almost feel like a, a graduate level. Uh, philosophy discussions before you even start writing a line of code, being able to outsource that to a, a kind of easy way to sketch something out that is also functional is really one of the biggest advantages of this, right, Kevin? It definitely is. And, and I kind of weirdly come at a lot of things, uh, has a lot of technology people do from a music background, right? So there are our music majors that understand theory and chords and can play every, you know, multiple instruments and they, they can write great music and they know how that all works. There are people that can still make great music using loops and using software and using pre-recorded, you know, tracks that they can piece together and still sound great. Um, and I'm sure that the uh, hardcore music majors, some of them, you know, are like, well, I know a lot more about how that went together, but I still, you know, hopefully they appreciate that it, it it entertained someone and it created great music. And that's kind of what we're talking about. You, you could be, 
when we say technical people, some, I mean, there's a wide range of technical people. Sometimes we use the term to, to talk about low-level software development teams that, that are using tools and languages that might be beyond the scope of what most people will understand. There's you know, less technical people that are the people you just described that, that know how the business works. They're experts in the business. They know what data points need tracked. They know what workflow needs done. And in the past, they just didn't have tools available to them to translate that into a solution. They had to write it up and give it to software development teams. And those software development teams made it reality. Uh, the low-code, no-code gives those business experts, those power users, the ability, instead of writing it up yourself, you can just open this tool and make it reality yourself. You can skip on certain types of apps, on things that are repetitive, on automations. Take a report. Uh, it could be a dashboard you want that you know shows key information about your business. You might understand all the data. You just, in the past, haven't been able to present it well. There are tools now, low-code, no-code report tools or dashboard tools, you can open up and design that report against real data and be and publish it to your, your stakeholders and be done. And you really don't need to go to anyone else to make it happen. Absolutely. And speaking of tools that are able to translate these ideas into solutions, into reality, um, you mentioned that we were going to talk about some of those later in the episode. So, so tell me a little bit about some of those options that exist in the marketplace that maybe people don't uh, even know of. The, the, the biggest one that we see lately and, and that fits in our wheelhouse and, and we know the most about, so that's one that we'll talk about. There, there are competitors to it uh, in various aspects, but the biggest one Microsoft has been pushing is the Microsoft Power Platform. And that's a, a number of tools. One is called Power BI for business intelligence. And just like I mentioned, it, it allows people to develop their own dashboards, reports, uh, pull in data from wherever they want very easily without any technical, or without, I won't say any technical, but with less of a technical background, add charts, graphs, um, you know, basically build your own reporting tool within your organization. Uh, so Power BI is, you know, kind of solves that problem and, and gives that capability to the citizen developer or citizen technologist. Uh, they have Power Apps, which is also part of that Microsoft suite. Power Apps allows power users to build their own applications that run on iPads, iPhones, uh, Windows, Mac, that run on all devices. You can you know, drag and drop screens and, and images. It'll do uh, some really powerful things like document scanning and, and word recognition. And uh, You can solve some very complex problems without ever writing a line of code. Or if you do, it's very little amount of code and it's not code as traditional developers would think of it as more like using Excel. There's just ex like Excel formulas that you can drop in when you need something complex to happen. They've got a tool that's called uh, Power Flow. I guess I'm forgetting the name. I'm, the name has changed. Microsoft does a very good job over time of- Power um, Automate. Changing. Power Automate it used to be called Flow. Uh, but Power Automate, if you've got a repetitive process that that isn't an application that a user opens and looks at, but it's something that should be listening and running all the time. The example I gave earlier is a good, uh, good one in terms of listening on an email inbox or some somebody saves a file to a certain folder. You need somebody to look at that file and make sure it's named right, you know, in a simple example. Uh, and, or if, if it's not named right, send somebody an email or an approval process. If somebody saves a file here, you know, somebody in a management team has to read it and check a box to approve it. There are, you know, Workflows like that that are very common in a lot of businesses. A lot of businesses across a lot of industries have very common workflows. And most of those workflows, uh, Power Automate 
has templates for or the ability to do very quickly with, you know, and make it, it can get very complex. I don't want to over, you know, exaggerate the simpleness of how some of these might work, but some of these, you know, you could take the same knowledge you have of, built, of automating a simple workflow and, and extend it and do a very complex one using the same tool. Again, with potentially no coding experience required. It kind of reminds me of the story of the, the guy who fixes the boiler and he walks around the boiler room for like 10 minutes and then taps his wrench against this one little casing. And the guy goes, how did you know how to do that? And, and, and the, uh, you know, the boiler technician says, well, it took me a very long time to know where to hit the wrench in just the right spot to make the boiler kick back on. And it, and it kind of reminds me of that because, you know, you're describing this idea, which is at, at the heart of it can be simple. If you have a simple workflow um, where you have a template that you could pull into any, anybody from manufacturing to hospitality to expedite, uh, or, or make more efficient one of their processes, but then you also get to add the complexity and the customization based on that particular business's needs. And, and so, Alex, I, I wonder from the standpoint of someone who is thinking about problems that they have in their workflow, they're thinking about where they know they could see improvement in their day-to-day lives of their employees and their processes, it would occur to me that in most cases, they need to find someone like that boiler, the, 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 the boiler technician who's able to walk around and know where to tap the wrench because if you don't have any background in understanding, well, should we go with Power BI or Power Apps or Power Automate or you know, where do I even look in this Microsoft ecosystem, they could very easily, A, go to a place that's not going to provide them with the, the, the best templates and workflows to kind of build off of, or B, they might go down the rabbit hole of thinking that there's nothing that exists. And so they have to build their own software in order to make that happen. Is that, is that correct, more or less? Yeah, there's definitely a lot that we have to kind of, you know, know as a whole picture to figure out what's the best best path forward. Because um, a lot of times you go down one direction and you figure out, you know, three or four months in that you went down the wrong direction, you've wasted not only just the capital of it, but the opportunity cost of getting it done, right? So having someone there that can help has been there and done that and kind of help, you know, lead you away, lead, lead you on the right path will definitely help you kind of get started on the right foot. Because a lot of these times, these projects that you're doing in the Power Platform, you're, measure, you're measuring the tens of thousands of dollars for a lot of these small apps, not the hundreds and hundreds of thousands you do for custom apps. So getting started on the right foot literally could mean you can get one of these um, apps done quicker in the first quarter than you know trying to figure out yourself. Uh, there's a lot of questions around licensing, a lot of questions around deployments, security, all these type of things that you need to know about that are critical to getting this new practice off the ground. This is literally what you're doing is starting a new practice. Yep. around your power apps. But in the, in the case of using a platform like Microsoft's Power Platform, you're assured that 90% of those technical pieces, right, those security pieces are all handled by a multi-billion dollar multinational who's taking care of all of that so that you can focus on what you need to do, which is figuring out the easiest way to get from A to B with your process, your new piece of software, your new reporting dashboard, whatever it is that you want to try to implement in your business, right? Yeah, that's to definitely. some degree. 
you still, I mean, you could still shoot yourself in the foot. A tool's a tool and there's still security. I hate to say security risk, but there's things you could do poorly. There's decisions you can make that expose your data incorrectly. Um, it's kind of like going to Home Depot and looking at a whole bunch of drills and finding, you know, this drill works, this drill works, but this one, you know, it's cheaper and you can do this type of thing, but you could hurt yourself with all of them. Right. So technology is technology if you don't know what you're doing, but there are a lot more safeguards in place and to some degree lower risk, but there's also you're exposing, you know, data and people maybe with less knowledge of what they should be, you know, what, what might be. I hate to say common sense, but might be a common thing they worry about if you're a low-level coder, a power user might not keep in mind when they're building something. So you still want to have partners or, you know, sounding boards to say there's got to be safeguards in place. So Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I mean, I guess I guess the conversation there is it's just a scenario where, as Alex said, it's tens of hours, not tens of, you know, thousands of hours to build it. And you're kind of going in with a base level of an assumption that at least the tools for security and, and and some of those other building blocks of what we consider to be foundational components of software building exist if you know where to look and, and how to use them. And, and to your point, that's not something that a citizen coder, that a power user in an organization who is not familiar with Microsoft's Power Platform could necessarily implement. But if they could be able to you know team up with a partner and show you this is kind of what I need, then someone like Architect Now can say, okay, we understand it. This is incredibly clear, uh, you know, in terms of what we need to build and we can do this a lot faster than we could in uh, even 2015, Never mind, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and, and like anything, adopting tools like this could be transformative to most businesses and they might not realize that, but I think that that trend is going to increase. Um, we recommend people start small, solve a problem, get used to the tools, see how it works, see the benefit. Um, as the, you know, as the snowball continues to roll down the hill and build up mass and you, you start to understand the capabilities, the end result is that your business is much more agile and you can innovate and try things out very quickly because, you know, the numbers, even the, the estimated numbers that Alex said, you're talking now in terms of thousands or tens of thousands to solve a, a problem that might save your company hundreds you're not looking to the investment out of pocket is much lower and the time to market is much quicker. So if you've got a you know group of people in a room that are doing something that takes them weeks and somebody can walk in there and say, man, if I, you thought this through, I could solve this problem and make, make a computer do it. Might you go move on to do something much more productive for our company, then all the better. Once you get a couple wins like that using these tools, the light bulb starts turning on, we find, and people are, uh, they start to understand and grasp you know, a bunch of little ways this could help them, you know, all across different divisions. I think that's a great way to look at it. I think that's a great way to uh, a great place to leave the episode is to, is to consider the fact that if you are bold enough to step into the world of what might your day-to-day -day look like and how might your organization be improved with the advent of a no-code, uh, low-code, no-code solution, you're in a scenario where you get to have more shots on goal right? You get to experience the power of rapidly iterating, finding what is possible in this world, and then being able to say, well, if we could solve that small problem, then we could solve this one, and then we could solve this one. And before you know it, your business is really transformed in every single department and every single workflow at every single stage. And you didn't have to spend uh, nearly the kind of money that you, you maybe have in the past or that you thought you did currently to be able to create those leaps in growth and progress for your organization. So I think that being able to partner up with 
someone who is very, very experienced in these foundational building blocks platforms like the Microsoft Power platform is incredibly powerful. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of P's in that sentence, so hopefully I was able to get that out relatively <laughs> easily. Uh, this has been another episode of Newsflash. You're a software company. Gentlemen, thank you for being here, and we'll see you on the next episode. Sounds good. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Corey. See ya. This podcast is presented to you by Architect Now. Whether launching new cloud or mobile apps or modernizing your legacy platforms, Architect Now can help you identify the best options and work with you to bring those ideas to life. If you like the information in this podcast, we can assure you it is only a fraction of the actionable wisdom and insights you will gain by talking to the team at Architect Now. To learn more and start a conversation, visit us on the web at www.architectnow.net. We'll see you on the next episode of the Newsflash, you're a software company podcast.